Well, good evening. If you would, uh, get out your Bibles uh, and turn with me over to the book of Romans in the sixth chapter. Romans chapter six. There won't, uh, won't be any PowerPoints on the screen this evening, so if you would get out your Bibles and read with me as we open up the Word of God together uh, and look into His Word. Uh, appreciate it if you are there with me uh, in the places that we are studying. So Romans chapter 6, and we're going to be really the start of our lesson this evening will begin in verse 13, uh, but we're going to kind of back up by way of introduction on some things that Paul has addressed, is addressing here uh, in the book of Romans in the sixth chapter. Um, this particular chapter of Romans begins with this idea of death, uh, that we are, we are dead to sin and that we die with Christ. He says that at the beginning in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. When he asks the question, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, the idea that, that really what Paul is addressing here is that sin, sin has no place in the life of the Christian. Unfortunately, today there are many who would use the grace of God uh, as an excuse for sin. I heard someone say just the other day, well, I'm only human. Uh, and that, that has no place in the life of the Christian. Sin cannot be a part of our life. Uh, our spiritual life begins with a spiritual death, and that is putting to death, putting away all of those deeds of the flesh, the, the sin that came with our previous life. The idea is that as Jesus died for us, we, we die with him. But, but he goes on there in Romans 6 to, to talk about not only, not only dying with Christ, not only doing away with some things, but also being raised with Christ as well. Verse 4, he continues that thought by saying, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It is a spiritual death that is followed by a spiritual resurrection. And it is that spiritual resurrection that I want us to uh, focus on this evening. What does that mean? What does that look like to walk in newness of life? And Paul proceeds in the next several verses, I think, to give us a very clear example, or a clear picture of what our new life in Christ is supposed to be like. Uh, verse 8 there, he says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with Christ. Verse 10, he says, For the, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to notice this evening that this newness of life is a life that is lived to God. It is not enough that we just don't sin anymore. Our new life in Christ is much deeper, much more involved than that. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse, beginning in verse 22, uh, Paul kind of expresses some similar, uh, a similar idea in that place as well. Ephesians chapter 4, and he would say, beginning in verse 22, that we are to, to put off the old man, uh, that which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So there's that idea that we have, we've put to death that guy. We've, we've quit sinning. But he goes on to say that not only do we put off the old man, but we also be renewed in the spirit of our mind and that we put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This new life. And we are to be living, as many of us as who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, or as many of us as who are considering being baptized into Christ Jesus. This new life that we are living is as much about what we put on, what we do in our lives, as it is about what we have put off, the things that we don't do in our lives. And I wanted us to begin in verse 13 here of Romans chapter 6, because here in verse 13 begins a couple of different illustrations, and we won't do it this evening, but if you go on, there's a third illustration uh, in chapter 7 that gives us an even deeper meaning, but we won't, we'll leave that alone. Y'all want to leave at some point tonight. But there's two good illustrations here in Romans chapter 6 uh, that describe to us what it is we're supposed to be doing as this new creature, this new man in Christ Jesus. He's going to give us the example, starting in verse 13, of an instrument or a tool. And then he's going to give us another example, another illustration, and that of a slave. And he will do that in verse 15 down through verse 23. And so I wanted to read first, that, that first illustration, the illustration of an instrument or a tool for God. Uh, verse 13, notice, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Again, there's that putting off, putting away, dying to sin. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What does it mean to be an instrument? Of righteousness. The word, uh, the word instrument here is defined as an implement, a utensil, or a tool. Uh, a couple things about a tool. I really, I, that, when I read that definition, I thought of a utensil. I start thinking of knives and forks and spoons, and I think that really starts to give me a, a clear picture because I, I grasp those concepts, what a spoon, a spoon is used for a purpose, a, to, a fork is used for a different purpose. And that's a few things that we, we take notice about a tool. A tool, first of all, has that specific purpose. A knife is used for cutting things. 
hammer is used for hammering things and etc. But secondly, a tool is really supposed to be dedicated. It's supposed to be set apart for that particular purpose. Uh, sometimes I, I buy a tool for one purpose and I use it for a totally different purpose and that usually usually doesn't work out. Anybody ever tried to uh, use your knife? I mean, yeah, well, that's a better example of what I was going to say. Use your knife as a spoon? Doesn't work real well. Uh, there was a restaurant in town used to have these really horrible forks and that's all they gave you was a fork so I had to use my fork is a spoon, and it was a terrible fork. And it, Brooke can tell you, it, it made me mad, because every time I try to eat, it, food just keeps falling out. It's intended for a specific purpose. And that's what we're supposed to be for God, his instrument, his tool. Uh, my favorite example of, of this comes from Andrew Murray in his book, Absolute Surrender. And he's talking about absolute surrender, surrendering to God, and what that really means, and and he gives an example in that book. He says, uh, oh, we don't have one up here. This will work. He says, I've got a pen in my pocket. And he says, that pen is absolutely surrendered to the one work of writing. And that pen, furthermore, he says, must be absolutely surrendered into my hand as my tool if I'm going to properly write with it. And that's the way it is supposed to be with us and God, as his tool, as his instrument. We are to be absolutely surrendered to him for his purpose. Andrew in that book would go on to make this point. Uh, he would say that if another holds it properly, or, or another holds it, I wrote it down, another, another holds it partly, he says, I can't write with it properly. And often that's what we're trying to do with God. God's supposed to be using us as a tool, but we won't let him hold the tool completely. We want to have our hand on part of it. I love that illustration because that's very simple. It's very easy for me to under, understand, especially in regard to a pen. And I'm over here trying to write my life the way I want. Very difficult for God to be writing it the way that he needs to. You are God's pen. You are God's tool used for God's writing, for God's purposes. To use you as he sees fit. An instrument of righteousness to God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul would say that we are his workmanship, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling, and he says that we do that because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure, not your own. An important question for us to ask ourselves is how will God ever be able to work in us for his good pleasure if I'm busy working to fulfill my own good pleasure? The idea is that we belong to him. We are his tool. We do not belong to sin. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. 
far too many Christians. And just FYI, this is a hot-button issue for me, so I'll try to keep it short, stay off my soapbox. Far too many Christians believe that being a Christian is only about not sinning anymore. It's the only difference, it's the only thing that's changed in their new life in Christ is that they just live this life now trying not to sin. Far too many Christians live exactly the way the rest of the world lives. They're just trying a little bit harder not to sin. We really think that one through. How successful are they in not sinning? So what is different about us and the rest of the world? You look at their lives, their schedules, their bank accounts, how they spend their free time. With all, many Christians, you would not find anything different about them than you would their non-Christian neighbors. But our lives, brethren, are supposed to be different. They're supposed to be unmistakably different and distinct from the rest of the world. It is supposed to be obvious that we belong to him. You know, you ever heard, uh, hear people say, or say it yourself, and I say it sometimes about people, I may say so-and-so is a, a good Christian man or a good Christian woman. And that's a pretty common statement we make. And I don't know about you, but what, what kind of thoughts come into your head when you hear that statement made? When I say that about somebody, I say, Ty over there, he's a good Christian man. What are the thoughts you have about Ty? Well, I, I usually think, and I may be the only one, but I usually think of about his morality. I think, well, he's an honest man. He's a hardworking man. Uh, he is uh, he's a, a, a guy with integrity, those sorts of things. That's usually what we mean when we talk about someone being a good Christian person. But being a good Christian man or woman is much more than just being a good, moral, trustworthy human being. Did you know that every single religion teaches morality and integrity and hard work and trustworthiness? By, by that definition, that, that, that's just me, maybe not you, but that definition that I just gave you of a good Christian man or woman, this good moral person, that could be said about a good Muslim man or a good Muslim woman. Every religion teaches morality. Christianity is much more than just our morality. There has to be something different about us than there is from our Muslim neighbor. It can't just mean that we're good folks. Different is that we belong to him and that we are set apart for his work and that we are busy doing his thing. The problem with American Christians, we're just too busy. Just too busy with our own thing. To be God's tool. The other illustration that Paul, uh, Paul gives, and I promise I won't spend as much time on each verse here as I spent on the one verse uh, verse 13. But another illustration is given to us in verse 15 and following the rest of this chapter, and that is that illustration of slavery. Um, begin with, reading with me. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. He says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? He says, well, certainly not. 
Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? The key word here is, is the word obedience or obey. Did you notice it there? It's several times. It's just in that one little verse. We, we all like to believe that we're, we're independent souls. And we make our own choices. We pave our own roads, all that sort of thing. But the reality is that all of us, all of us, we answer to somebody. You don't answer. When you go to work Monday morning, you're going to answer to our school. You're going to answer to a teacher. Uh, you're going to answer to a boss. You're going to answer to investors, you're going to answer to stockholders, you're going to answer to customers, you're going to answer to somebody. And although sin often disguises itself as, as freedom, that's what we think we have and that's what we think we want, sin is not freedom at all. Sin is, is actually a, it is a form of slavery, Paul points out here. And what's really happening is we're just obeying various lusts and various desires that come into our mind. Scientifically, what's happening is we're just chasing dopamine, serotonin, and a whole bunch of other chemicals in our brain. That's all that's really happening. That's not freedom. You're just obeying chemicals. Which kind of leads me to a little bit different point as well. Did you know that that's true really no matter what you pursue in life? whether you're pursuing good things or bad things. There's a lot of that that's really going on. Uh, very interesting subject to talk about the, the human brain and, and the chemistry that's going on up there in our heads. Much of our motivation, much of the, the driving force behind the things that we do as human beings is really just a response to either a, an abundance of or a lack of certain chemicals in our brain. You know, that dopamine, epinephrine, F, uh, I can't say half the word. But that, that's all that's really going on in a lot of the, the motivation of why we do the things that we do. Our brain was designed with a, a chemical reward system that is really the, the force, or the driving force behind much of our behavior. And what's very interesting about that particular system in our brain, is that it is designed not to be overloaded. There's only so much of these chemicals in your body. You cannot just keep feeling good all the time. Uh, the drug addict and alcoholic figures that out really quick. You want to feel good? That feels good. Let's do some more. We'll feel better. We'll do some more. We'll feel better. And we'll do some more. And oh, no, we don't feel better. It stops. Because that's the way our brains were designed. That's the way our bodies were designed. We were designed with that system to be regulated. Supposed to keep us motivated so that we continue to want to go out and work and, and explore and build and all those sorts of excuse me, all those sorts of things. I was listening to uh, some scientist guy the other day and he was talking about all those things, brain chemistry and how our overindulgent culture today with Social media and video games and pornography and all these things are just available out there in abundance to us. How all these things are wreaking havoc on, on that particular system and contributes to a lot of the, 
depression and the anxiety and all sorts of mental health issues that we're having today. What I found interesting about what he was saying, listen to this. He said in order to to optimize this particular system, in order to get the the most uh, uh, out of your brain chemistry and enhance your productivity, he suggested that we practice certain things. You know what he suggested? Hard work, self-denial, abstinence, other forms of discipline like fasting and meditation. You know, things the Bible teaches us to do. Imagine that. The one who created us has been telling us all along what is best for our bodies and what is best for our life here on earth. Stop overindulging and start practicing discipline and self-denial. Could have saved that guy a lot of money. He went to school for a long time to figure that out. And right here, by the creator of this body that we have. But my point for this, this evening is that we were designed. We were designed to be obedient creatures. And our freedom of choice is really just a freedom of what master we are going to serve. Verse 16, notice there at the end, he said, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. That's what that scientist guy was talking about. He said, look, either, either you choose to obey all these impulses and desires and you spend all day on social media and eating cake and, and binge watching your favorite TV show and all that stuff, and you can suffer the consequences that are going to come later or you can choose these other routes, discipline and self-denial. But, but this idea that we're just, it's just free and we just do whatever we want and it's just all great, it's a false reality. We are all obedient to someone, either sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But, verse 17, he says, but God be thanked. Though you, talking to Christians, those who had been baptized into Christ, he says, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. I find that phrase there in verse 19 very interesting. For just as, just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness. I'll read that one more time. Just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness. We all know how to sin, don't we? Anybody, there there are groups somewhere meeting Sunday night trying to dig into some book to learn how to sin? They're not doing that, right? We all know how to do that. Sinning's easy. You just do it. You just obey whatever your desire tells you to do. And I'll tell you, the best way to sin 
the very best way. You ever heard that advice from Full Pit? The best way to sin. The best way is when you don't even think about it at all. You think about the last time that, that you responded to someone in anger. Think about that time. We all do that, or most of us at least do that. Respond from time to time to people in anger. We regret it later. Think about the last time that you did that. You know, the easiest way to give in to anger is, is when it just happens. And you're caught off guard. And you, boy, you just, you just spout out with it. There's no conflict there. There's no, should I do this? Should I say this? Should I not? You just, you respond. You went with it. And even if you're thinking of a time, and, and there was a little time, when you responded in anger to someone, and there was some of that conflict in your head, at some point, you just gave in. And you just went with it. You turned it off. You turned off all the noise, telling you, well, maybe you should say this. Maybe you should say, not say this. And you just turned it all off, and you did it. You said it, or you did whatever you did in anger towards that person. That's how sin works. And Paul says here that in that same way, that's the way that we should respond to righteousness. Just turn off the conflict and just do it. You know, you already know what you need to be doing. If someone doesn't know what they need to be doing here, come, come see one of us. See me after service. We'll talk to you about what you need to be doing. But most of us, we know what we need to be doing. And all that noise that you have, all that conflict telling you that maybe you don't have enough time or you don't feel like it or you're not good enough or whatever it is, Take a lesson from your own sin. Turn it off and just do it. Turn it off and do the righteousness that you know you need to do. Pull out your Bible and read it. Get on your knees and pray. Get your Bible out and teach that Bible class that you need to teach. Cook the meal. Make the phone call. Whatever it is, just turn off the noise and do it. We were... Uh, we were sitting back there in Bible class the other day, and we were, we were talking about the, the difficulties in resisting sin and temptation and, and how, you know, just how hard it is sometimes to, to not sin. Uh, it's a struggle. All of us deal with sin. If we say we have not sinned, we're, we're a liar, right? We all deal with sin, and it's a struggle in our lives. But as we were having that conversation, it, it kind of dawned on me that you know, maybe it's not that difficult to resist sin and to resist temptation. The problem is, maybe we're having the wrong conversation. Because when we're engaged in righteous activities, there is very little time for unrighteousness. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But when we're engaged, actively engaged in righteous activities, there is very little time for unrighteousness. Bringing our thoughts back to the context of a slave, that's the slave's situation, right? He doesn't have conflict in his head about whether or not to, to do my own thing or do the master's thing. He doesn't have the luxury of that conflict, of that choice. There's no time for that. They're too busy serving their master. 
The purpose of the slave illustration is that we understand that that's our purpose here. We're not supposed to be so busy that we don't have time to serve our master. In fact, it should be the other way around. We're so busy serving our master that it's hard to find time to do some of the things for ourselves. We are, as God's slaves, we are God's workers, expected to produce, expected to be productive. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 2, he said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He went on to say that even those branches that do bear fruit, he pats them on the back. No, he said, no, I, I, I prune them so that they'll bear even more fruit. What good is an unproductive slave? Verse 20 kind of sums up the benefit that we have in all of this. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can either serve sin, which produces the death, or we can serve God in righteousness, which brings us life. Why is it so often we choose to serve a master that brings death instead of serving a master that brings us life? Will you be God's slave this evening? Will you be God's worker? Forget, forget all the things that you're trying to build. Remember, that's how Romans chapter 6, we didn't dig into that this evening, that wasn't our point, but that's how Romans chapter 6 began. You're dead to yourself. You have died with Christ to live a new life for a new purpose. Start being God's worker, God's slave. Forget trying to build things for yourself and start building the things of God. That's what he requires of you. You are God's instrument and God's tool. If we can help you become God's tool this evening, Paul made it very, very clear that he is talking about those who have put to death themselves has been risen to walk with Christ. As many of you, he said, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. What a beautiful picture. To be like Christ. To live from this point forward in his life. He offers you that opportunity today. Put him on. To be free of the sin that you have committed. 
to be his child and labor for him to be his tool to, for him to use you in this life. If you need to do that this evening or if you've done that, but yet you've been a horrible tool for God, serving yourself, working for yourself, or worse than that, for sin, instead of for him, get that right today. We can help you as your brothers and sisters. We stand here ready to assist you, to love you and to pray for you and encourage you, whatever you need. All you have to do is come as we all stand, as we sing. How sweet will be.